uh, Christmas is coming, right? Christmas is coming. Catholic Christmas is coming like immediately, but Christmas in general is coming, right? It's right around the corner. Uh, it'll be here before you know it. And the stores, it's been Christmas like in Walmart since, you know, November 1st, right? Or whatever, like as soon as Halloween was over. Uh, Christmas is coming. With Christmas comes what? A little bit colder temperatures? Uh, comes, it gets dark like at four in the afternoon. Um, with those colder temperatures, sometimes comes snow, right? Not all the time, but sometimes in Memphis we get snow. Do you guys like snow? Who likes snow? For a short period of time. Snow can be fun. Snow can be fun in small, in small quantities, in small doses, and then it can go away. Times that snow is not fun. Times that snow and ice can be pretty. It can look really cool. I mean, it's on the trees and it makes the ground all white and everything looks just really nice. And then snow and ice is not fun. Where? On the street. On the road. And you got to drive on it. And everyone thinks, oh, I can drive in the snow until you get out on it. And you can't, right? I mean, so, some ice you can just not drive on. It doesn't matter how good a driver you are. I mean, there was a time... There's a time Jackie and I were on a road trip. Uh, this is years ago. Our kids were little. We've got three kids, but at this point, my son Thomas, who's 14 now, he was, he was just one and a half, right? Our daughter Cadence was a brand new newborn. Uh, and we're on a road trip, actually coming back from a Chi Alpha event, a Chi Alpha retreat, uh, and we are driving from Nashville area back to Arkansas, right? So going down I-40, we are in between Nashville and Jackson on I-40, if you can picture it, uh, and, and the snowstorm hits, like freak snowstorm out of nowhere, like 22 inches in 22 minutes kind of snowstorm, like it hits hard, right? I-40 is coated in this sheet of ice from this freezing rain, and that sheet of ice is then covered with a thick sheet of snow, can't even see I-40, right? You're just going in space. Okay, I think Memphis is in this general direction. Uh, and it, it gets scary because you're starting to see cars go off the road. Shoom, shoom. Either, either side, on both sides of the, both, both lanes of I-40, cars going off the road. You're like, oh man, now I think I'm a safe driver. I'm trying to be extra careful here driving. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, the, the car starts drifting off the road. Starts drifting off the road. Now, I'm doing, I'm doing everything right. right? I, did, I did driver's ed. I'm a, I'm a careful driver. It doesn't matter. At that point, man, we're, in, we're in the ice. We're in the skid. And we're going off the road. So I just kind of slow down, take it easy. And we go right off the road into a snow drift, you know, about, about 15, 20 feet uh, off the interstate in, into the snow there. And I got, it's me and small Jackie and then our two really young babies, a, a year and a half old son and a, a brand newborn daughter. And we're in the snow. And we're stuck. And the snow just keeps coming, it keeps coming down, it's getting colder, snow's getting thicker, and we're just stuck in the snow drift, right? This is a scary moment, right? This is probably one of the most scary moments uh, that, that I could recall. Uh, I mean, we've got a limited amount of gas, right? Which means only a limited amount of heat. Uh, we're off the road, and there's snow and ice between us and the road. Tough to get back on the road. How are we going to get home? How are we going to get out of this situation, right? It's a scary moment. Uh, and, and we try not to panic, but it's like, okay, we, we can't spend the night, right? we got babies. We cannot spend the night in this car, in the snowdrift. Uh, so, man, we start, we get out, we start trying to dig a path back up to the road. And I've gone, Jackie, I've gone into wild man mode at this point, like wild caveman survival instinct mode, and I'm digging. I'm digging this path uh, from our car up to the road. Because it's like, when I, when I try to, 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 the wheels just spin out, right? You're in the snow, you're in the ice, you're in the mud, and you, you can try to put on the, the gas, and the wheels just spin out. I need to carve, you know, kind of dig, dig a pathway. I found a piece of the pack and play, the babies. Uh, create a piece of pack and play, this like plastic shelf thing. I was using like a shovel and I'm digging the snow to try to make a path up to the road. 
Well, I'm doing that somewhere in all of that. As I said, other cars have gone off the road. There was another car near where we were that had gone way off the road. So we're about 15 feet off the road, um, and they're, they're easy, you know, 70, 80 feet off the road. There's no way they're getting back on the road. And I, don't, I don't remember exactly how you know, Jackie walked over to them, and they came over to us. It was, it was a single mom and her newborn baby, right? Uh, and there was no way they were getting up to the interstate. So Jackie's like, I mean, get in our car with us, right? Their, their gas was either had run out or was running out. Uh, and Jackie's like, I mean, get in our car so you can stay warm. We got babies in here too, which is the more the merrier, right? So this mom and newborn baby gets in our car, uh, and I'm, again, I'm a wild man at this point trying to dig a path uh, back up to the road. And, and uh, Jackie and this mom, I think, are out pushing, uh, and, and eventually we do get back up on the road. And so I'm, I mean, I'm driving, uh, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm still in wild man like panic survival mode, right? So I'm, I'm praying like loudly and probably awkwardly to this lady, like, oh Jesus, we got to get, we got to get to Memphis. Um, and, and we do, we make it slowly. We find like a little, a little groove there on I-40 and do make it safely home. Now this was not a fun experience, right? This is a terrifying experience. Right? I was worried we were gonna be stuck in the snow if we we're gonna freeze out here in the snow and ice. Um, I would not choose to go through this experience, right? This is not, if I had to choose some life events, I wanted to check on a checkbox. I would not choose this experience. But looking back on it, I think, if we hadn't gone off the road, now what would happen? What would happen to this mom? to this baby, right, that was, was off on the side of the road. Would they have survived? Would they have made the night? Like, I didn't want to go off the road, but if it meant that this mom and baby, like, survived, because they, they climbed into our car, you know, we drove them, you know, home, stayed with my parents in Memphis, and then we drove them back the next day, drove them back to wherever they needed to go after the snow and ice had melted. And it's like, God, this was a scary moment. I, I would not choose to do this, but if it meant you know, saving this person's life, then, okay, God, I'm kind of glad that I went through it. Does that make sense? Like, it was scary, it was tough, but I can see how God worked in it and how God used it. And maybe you've experienced, thinking back on your own life, your 18, 19, 20, 21 years, some of you more, thinking back on your own life, you've maybe experienced a situation like that, that it was unpleasant, you would not have chosen it, but looking back, you see how God used it either for your good or for the good of someone else. God used it in the long run to bless you. Maybe it's he used it to shape your character, right? He built, he built some character, built some patience, built some integrity, and you're going through that hardship, right? Maybe there was a blessing on the other side of it that you didn't realize, so you went through it. Maybe, maybe the blessing was for someone else, to help someone else, whether it's just to be able to encourage someone else going through a similar thing, saying, hey, I can understand, I can empathize. Uh, but maybe you've experienced something like that where you see God working through an unpleasant Circumstance, a tough situation for his good and working good out of it. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many times, I mean, I've, I've heard people, stories of people, man, going to the doctor because, man, something's wrong with their body, something's hurt, maybe they need a minor surgery, maybe they're sick, it's unpleasant, uh, but while they're there at the doctor or while they got them opened up doing this minor surgery, they find something else. You guys have heard stories like this. They find something else that's like life threatening. It's like, if you weren't in here for this real simple procedure, we would have never found this other thing and then end, ends up saving their life, right? And so sometimes God can work through these difficult circumstances for our good. Right, to bless us, and even sometimes to save our lives. Um, man, and, and sometimes in the middle of it, man, we don't know. We don't know what God's purpose is in the middle of it. Right? When, when they're in the middle of the tough situation, in the middle of the stressful situation, uh, we can say, okay, God, I believe you got a purpose in it, but we may not know what it is. Right? And sometimes stuff's just hard because the world's broken. Right? The world's broken because of sin. So there are hard days and, and tough things that we go through. Um, but we can trust, man, if we trust God's word, we trust God's promises are true, we can trust that even in the midst of that hard stuff, God is at work, right? God is in control, and he's at work. I mean, God promises us in Romans 8, right, that he's causing all things to work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So that's, that's the really hard days. 
That's the tough situation. That's the miserable, man, God, I'm sick of these circumstances. God, I need to get out of it. This is awful. I hate this. Uh, that even in that, we trust, man, God, you're in control. And you're working in this situation for my good, for the good of those around me, for your glory. Uh, and, and that he may want to use this situation that we would not choose and to bless you or to bless someone else. And the text that we're looking at tonight, um, and picking up in here with the story of Joseph, is probably one of the best examples of this in all of Scripture, right? It's Joseph's story and the arc that his life goes through. And we're going to take a look at it uh, here again, starting in Genesis 35. Last month, we started a brand new series called Family Tree, right? Jackie kicked it off talking about Abraham, uh, and we're calling the series Family Tree, uh, beginning to look at some of the major figures in the book of Genesis and what we can learn uh, from their lives in this messy family tree, right, that grows from Abraham's life and his, his descendants uh, that ends up setting the stage for the rest of Scripture, setting the stage uh, for the rest of the Bible, things that we can learn about God, learn about God's character. Um, super brief overview, overview. God chose this guy named Abram, later Abraham, and says, I'm going to bless you, right? I'm going to make your descendants, uh, give you countless multitudes of descendants, and I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And he makes this covenant, this promise with this man, Abraham. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Man, we talked about Isaac. We talked about uh, this test of faith for, for Abraham to have to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And of course, God provides uh, a ram. He doesn't end up sacrificing Isaac, but it's a test of faith to reveal something about the nature, the character of God in that moment. We talked about Jacob two weeks ago before the Thanksgiving holiday. Jackie talked about uh, Jacob, right? That this mischievous figure, this deceptive figure that wrestled with God. God changed his name, changed his identity. He has a purpose for him. Reaffirms the promise uh, that he gave his granddad, Abraham, saying, hey, I'm going to bless the whole world through you and your descendants. Um, and so we're going to continue with that story tonight. If you missed any of those last three parts of the messages, those are going to be available to listen to on Kyle's podcast. Maybe you can listen to those over the break uh, and hear that. Abraham's family tree, though, is a messy family tree. We've been talking about these guys, man. Their lives are messy. Some of the stuff they do is ugly, and you're like, man, that's messed up. But then we remember, like, our own families, and it's like, okay, well, yeah, my family's kind of messed up too, right? So we can, we can relate to this messy family tree we see here in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, it's a messy family tree, and it's also the family tree of Jesus, Right? Matthew tells us this. Matthew's gospel opens up telling us this, that Jesus, the Messiah, is a descendant of David and a descendant of Abraham. That Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Right? So this is Jesus' family tree. This is how Jesus' family tree gets started, and it starts in a mess. Right? From a mess, right, this family tree grows that God would one day send the Messiah, send Jesus. And for those of us that have been adopted into the family of God because you put your trust in Jesus, and yeah, I'm trusting in Jesus to be my Savior, and now I'm adopted into the family of God as God's son, God's daughter, well, guess what? It's your messy family tree as well, right? And it's important we learn about this messy family tree we've been adopted into. So we're going to continue looking at this family tonight. Again, two weeks ago, Jackie talked about Jacob, and do you guys remember the great baby race? Right? She was talking about the great baby race that, that Jacob uh, fell in love, fell in love with this lady, right? Uh, and said, man, I got to marry this lady and works for her dad. Uh, dad says, surprise, uh, you're actually going to marry her older sister. And if you work for me seven more years, you can have the younger sister too. And so he's married to two ladies, which is already a mess. And then the, the two ladies get in a competition, the great baby race, see who can produce the most sons. 
Uh, and, and so there's a competition, and lots of babies are born. Twelve sons in all uh, from this great baby race, uh, twelve sons. And tonight we're going to look at the story of those sons, and one son in particular, Joseph. We talk about Jesus' family tree. The lineage of Jesus is actually traced through Jacob's son, Judah. And you can read about Judah in Genesis 38. His life is an absolute mess. Like, this guy's like, God, really? You chose this guy? Um, and hopefully that gives us some hope that on our tough days, right, God can still use you. God can still choose you as well. So Jesus comes through Judah's bloodline, but the story of his younger brother, Joseph, uh, is super important. And it gets to much larger focus as we look at the book of Genesis. So that's what we're going to look at tonight, Joseph's life. Joseph is important because God uses him to save the rest of his family. Uh, without Joseph, this family, this family tree would not have survived. So looking at Joseph's life, we can learn a couple things. We can learn that we can trust God is in control in every situation, and that he can use even your most difficult circumstances for your good, for his glory, and to bless other people. Amen? So let's do a quick overview of Joseph's life. So again, Joseph's story begins in Genesis 35 and then goes 15 chapters to the end of the, end of the book. So we're going to kind of breeze through parts of it. Joseph's story starts in Genesis 35. As we said, Jacob had 12 sons. Joseph was one of the two sons he had with his wife, Rachel. Rachel's the woman that he noticed and fell in love with, right? So there's some favoritism for, for Joseph and Joseph's little brother, Benjamin, that was born to like the wife he really loved, right? Favoritism's not good, right? We're not supposed to have favorite kids. But Jacob did. Man, he really loved. He really loved his son Joseph. Um, we're told that Jacob uh, loved Joseph more than his other sons, and even makes him a special robe to wear. Now, I don't know if any of your parents gave you like a special robe, a special coat, and it made all your brothers and sisters <laughs> jealous. Like, Dad, why are you, why are you going to do me that way? Um, but he makes a special special cloak, a special robe for Joseph. And, and on top of that, Joseph starts having, having these wild dreams of various things bowing down to him. And he goes and tells his family, hey, family, guess what, guys? Last night I had this dream about all these things coming and bowing down to me, you know, bowing down and honoring me. And of course, this makes his brothers even more mad, even more jealous. They start to hate Joseph. Man, we hate this kid, right? He's talking about his dreams, wearing his fancy coat. Dad likes him best, right? And they start to hate Joseph. They're mad at Joseph. They grow jealous of him. This resentment continues to grow, and in Genesis 37, Joseph's brothers plot to kill him. Some of you guys come from messy family situations. Hopefully, hopefully your brothers and sisters never plotted to kill you, right? Hopefully that's not happening. Maybe, maybe some of you has, right? And, and you can empathize man, with, with, with these Bible characters here, but they, they're like, we're done with this dude. Now we're going to kill this guy. We're going to go out and we're going to kill, kill Joseph. The oldest son, Reuben, says, hold up, guys. Well, let's not kill him. Right, let's not kill him. For, for the meantime, let's throw him in the cistern. Right? A cistern is a well. Right? And, and so we found this big empty cistern, a big empty well. We're just going to throw him in that for a minute. So an empty well, a well with no water in it is what? It's just a big hole in the ground. It's basically a pit. So they've thrown him in this pit. We're going to leave him in there. They take his robe uh, and they say, we're going to leave him there, figure out what to do from there. There's a traveling caravan passing through, right? Some traveling merchants passing through, uh, and they end up selling their little brother uh, to these traveling merchants, right? Sell him into slavery. And then they take his robe, and they go to Jacob, and they say, hey, a wild animal uh, attacked Joseph while we were out there. I mean, it's, it sucks, but he's, he's totally dead. Um, they, give the dad, they give the dad the robe. Jacob is, of course, heartbroken because he thinks he's lost his son, his favorite son, right? He's been killed by a wild animal. But that's not what happened. Uh, that was a lie. These traveling merchants who bought Joseph then travel to Egypt and sell Joseph to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was the captain of Pharaoh's royal guard. 
Um, so they, 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 they take Joseph. Joseph is now sold into slavery. So if you're following the arc of his life so far, favorite son, daddy's little boy, right? Favorite kid, and now sold into slavery. It's tough, right? It's tough. It's going to get better, and it's going to get a lot worse. That's the arc so far. Um, and, and I want to I drill in real, real quick here on this idea of Joseph being tossed in a cistern, Joseph being tossed in an empty well. There's this, again, reoccurring picture throughout Scripture of water, of fountains, of wells. A few I mean, Several weeks ago, preached on the imagery uh, in the book of Jeremiah God gives of himself as a fountain of living water. He wants you to come to and drink deeply from. And what he says we do as human beings, instead of coming to God and letting him satisfy the needs of our heart, what do we do instead? We go and dig... We dig our own wells, trying to find things that satisfy us. And those wells don't actually have any water in them. And so what is, it, what is a well with no water in it? It's a pit, right? And so we fall in these pits of our own digging, and we end up being caught up in them, end up being enslaved to them. And if you think about, man, these things we chase after, instead of, letting, instead of going to God and finding our satisfaction in the Lord, the things we chase after, whether that's man, sexual sin or, or drugs or, or alcohol, or these other things we try to find identity and meaning and purpose in, we end up becoming slaves to those things, right? Joseph ended up becoming a literal slave, but this is a picture for us, right? When you don't get your satisfaction in God, when you don't go and drink from that living water, then we end up in empty cisterns as well. We end up enslaved to things that, man, we didn't have any business messing around with as well. So Joseph here is in literal slavery to this man named Potiphar. But Potiphar sees that Joseph is very wise and that everything Joseph touches is blessed. Like this kid is crazy blessed. He's wise. He knows how to manage things. And before long, Potiphar says, I'm going to put you in charge of my whole household. Like, dude, everything you do is just amazing. I'm just going to make you in charge of everything. So he puts, you know, he puts Joseph in this place of honor. So now Joseph is in charge of Potiphar's house, right? He's managing everything with the house and everything's kind of looking good for Joseph. Now he's a slave, right? But, but things are looking good. Except for this one part, right? Potiphar's wife, Potiphar's wife notices Joseph. Say, hey, I've got this young guy in my house. And he's in charge of everything. He's looking good. Potiphar's wife starts trying to seduce Joseph. And literally saying, hey, come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. Joseph said, I can't do that. Right? That's a sin, right? You're, you're, you're Potiphar's wife. You're married. You're married woman. I can't come to bed with you. I'm not going to do that. He tells her no. He tells her no. He rejects her advances until ultimately one time, and she grabs a hold of him. Come to bed with me right now. Uh, grabs a hold of his cloak, grabs a hold of his coat. And Joe's Joe like, I gotta get out of here. And literally, like, twists, turns out of his coat, runs out of the room. And so that's encouragement for you guys, man. When you're tempted with sexual sin, man, you're in a temptation situation, if you gotta get out of your coat and run out of the room, man, whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes. Like, sometimes you just need to run out of the room. That sounds drastic, right? But, but man, sometimes we gotta do drastic things. Those of you guys that are in the Duke Alpha's life groups, we've been studying... We study the Sermon on the Mount, right? So for, for us, a couple weeks ago, we talked about, um, talked about man, sexual sin and, and Jesus saying, if you even look on a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart and, and that we should take drastic measures uh, to avoid sexual sin, that if our eye offends us, that we should, we should cut it out. If our hand offends us, we should cut it off. And, and Jesus saying, man, not literally self-mutilate, but take drastic measures to avoid sin. And that's what Joseph did. He's like, I don't need this coat that bad and runs out of this coat, runs out of the room. He says, I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to sleep with Potiphar's wife here. Well, Potiphar's wife is upset about this, right? Being rejected. So she makes a false accusation. Say, hey, I got his coat to prove it and everything. Falsely accuses Joseph of, of assault. Of course, Potiphar's furious and he's thrown in prison, right? Thrown in prison on a false accusation. So Joseph, man, find him again. Favorite, favorite son in a pit, sold into slavery, head of the household, 
now in a dungeon, right? Now at a, a real low point. So uh, this is Genesis chapter 40. Joseph is in prison. We don't know how long he's there, man. It could be years. This is a long stretch of time. Joseph finds himself there in prison, in this dungeon. While he's there, you meet people in prison, right? While he's there, he meets the king's baker and the king's cupbearer. The king's baker, the king's cupbearer were there because at some point they had offended Pharaoh. So Pharaoh has them here in prison as well. Um, And the Lord enables Joseph to interpret uh, the dreams that these men have. These men wake up, have some crazy dreams. and say, man, that's messed up. Why did I dream that? And the Lord enables Joseph to interpret those dreams. Say, here's what I think your dream means. And those things that Joseph interpreted came to pass. They came true. And Joseph says, hey, I just have one request. When you guys get out of here, would you remember me? Like, would you tell Pharaoh about me? Would you remember me when you get out of prison? And they say, yeah, of course we're going to remember him. The, 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 the baker ends up being put to death, uh, and the cupbearer uh, ends up getting released and becomes a cupbearer for Pharaoh again. He promises he's going to remember Joseph, but he does not, at least not right away. In chapter 41, Pharaoh, right, the head of Egypt, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, starts also having some troubling dreams, some messed up dreams. Messed up dreams about, like, uh, man, sickly kernels of wheat swallowing up the healthy kernels of wheat, and sickly livestock swallowing up the healthy livestock. And he's waking up, and he's troubled by this, and he's asking all the wise men in the kingdom, what does this mean? What are these dreams? Mean? We don't know. Right? Well, asking the, the magician, whoever he's got, like, what, what do these dreams mean? We don't know. Cupbearer's like, hold up, Pharaoh. I remember this guy when I was in prison, when you were mad at me. Uh, he can interpret dreams. He can interpret dreams. And, okay, bring this guy to me. So Joseph is brought before Pharaoh. He heard, hears that he's, and Pharaoh says, yeah, I've heard you can interpret dreams. So, well, it's God, right? God enables me. God helps me. And so God, God can give the interpretation. So he hears this, and, and God does give him the interpretation of the dream. He says, Pharaoh, here's what your dream means. God is sending a warning. In the land of Egypt, there's going to be seven years of prosperity and blessing followed by seven years of famine. So here's what we need to do. During those years of prosperity, we need to be careful and save some of that grain so when there's a famine in the land, we've got something to eat and we don't all die. And Pharaoh's like, whoa, this kid, where'd this kid come from, right? And, and so he is out of jail and instantly promoted. Uh, and he's got such a wise plan about how to administrate things so they can survive this famine. Pharaoh puts him in charge of everything. He becomes the most powerful man in Egypt, second only to the king. Joseph is now in charge of the entire kingdom. And so he starts, again, administrating like he said. Okay, during during these seven years of prosperity, let's set aside a certain amount of grain, store it carefully so that we can survive and live uh, during this period of famine. So again, going from, it's been a roller coaster, right? Right, to go from, you know, slavery, uh, and then then promoted, and then to the dungeon, and now he's the governor. He's in charge of everything there in the kingdom. And so the famine does hit just as was predicted by this, this dream. And it don't, doesn't only hit Egypt, it also hits Canaan. This is back where Jacob and all of Joseph's brothers live. It, it, hits, it hits Canaan hard, and so Jacob sends Joseph's brothers down to Egypt, saying, hey, I heard Egypt, they had a plan to survive this. They've got some grain. Go and buy some food from them. And so when the brothers arrive in Egypt, we're told they don't recognize Joseph right away. I don't know why this is. I don't know why, if, if he was wearing his mask, I don't know if he had his face shrouded, I don't know if it was like in the movies, and he's like in shadow, so you don't fully see him until like the third act, Uh, but they don't recognize, or maybe it's just been a lot of years since they've seen their brother, but they don't recognize Joseph right away, Uh, and when they come in, they bow before him, and just as Joseph had dreamed about years before, his brothers are bowing before him, begging, hey, we need food, our family's going to die. Joseph's emotional. I imagine I'd be emotional too, right? Your brothers, you know, strip you of your 
fancy robe and throw you in a pit and sell you into slavery, it'd be emotional to encounter them again. Doesn't matter how many years it's been. And Joseph's emotional. He accuses them of being spies and throws them in jail. Right? He's, he's emotional, right? When you're, when you're emotional, when you're upset, you say stuff, you do stuff. You guys know. Joseph's like, man, y'all, y'all are just spies trying to spy on Egypt. And he has them thrown uh, in prison. He says, if they want to buy grain, they need to bring, because they didn't bring the youngest brother, Benjamin, on this trip. He says, if you want to buy grain, you need to bring your, my youngest brother. He doesn't say my. Your youngest brother, Benjamin, you need to come. That'll prove that y'all aren't spies. The story you told me is true. Uh, bring Benjamin. Um, and, uh, and, and this is, of course, what they do. So in chapter 45, uh, they bring Benjamin back, and it's in this moment that Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and tells them that all of this, all of this was part of God's plan to save them. Let's take a look at it. Genesis 45, starting in verse 4. This is the big reveal. Genesis 45, verse 4. Please come closer, he said to them. So they come closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine has ravaged the land for two years and will last for five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here and not you. Man, what a statement of faith, right? To say, actually, God's in control. He's the one that sent me here to Egypt, not you. And he's the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. So now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me the master over all the land of Egypt, so come down to me immediately. Right? This is a huge faith statement on the, on the behalf of Joseph. Again, and Joseph's gone through some stuff. He's gone through some hard stuff. Uh, yeah, sold, sold into slavery, disowned by his brothers, betrayed by his brothers, falsely accused in a dungeon. Uh, it's been a roller coaster ride, but, but Joseph, in faith, says, God's been in control for all of this. I see how he's brought me here for a reason, right? If God didn't promote me to this place, I want to be here now, being able to give you food so our family could survive, right? We would have just died during this famine. So I know you may be feeling some kind of way seeing me now, and I'm feeling some emotions too, but I trust that this was all part of God's plan to save us. Like, that's a huge faith statement. I think that's a place God wants us to get to as well, that when we're in those tough situations, to be able to say in faith, okay, this is awful, but I trust God's in control, and I trust that he's good, and he's going to work through this situation for his good, to save me, to bless someone else, to glorify his name. It's tough, and it's a faith statement, but God, I believe you're going to do it. I believe you're going to do it. I believe you're at work in this situation. I believe that you are in control. Let's finish up Joseph's story. So Joseph sends for his father Jacob and all of his family to come settle there in Egypt. Pharaoh had given the family uh, the region of Goshen to, to come and live in. So they come and settle in this area where they can live and survive the famine. And so his whole family, Jacob's whole family and all the brothers and grandkids move there. In Genesis 48 and 49, Jacob's getting older. He realizes he's going to die soon, so he blesses his children and he blesses his grandchildren. Uh, we're not going to spend any time on that other than to look at this one blessing. The blessing he gives his son Judah is particularly interesting. This is a prophecy in Genesis 49, verse 10. He's praying a blessing over all his sons. When he gets to his son Judah, remember we said Judah's the one that one day... You know, Jesus would be born from his lineage. He gets to his son Judah. He's praying a blessing over his son Judah. This is what he prays. 
Genesis 49.10, the scepter, you know, that, that image of, of ruling, of authority, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one to whom all nations will honor. And this is over a thousand years before Jesus was born. Right? This is what he prays over his son Judah. One day, there's going to be a king. You know, there's going to be someone holding that royal scepter uh, that the whole world's going to honor. So we know King David also comes from his descendants, right? Uh, but one day will be a king and that the whole world honors. One day Jesus uh, is going to come and through your descendants. And when I read the Old Testament, I come across these prophecies about the Messiah that were fulfilled in Jesus. Man, I get, I get tingles, right? I get a shiver. I'm like, whoa, that's awesome. That's awesome. That should encourage you as well. In Genesis chapter 50, Jacob does die. And Joseph's brothers, after their father dies, Joseph's brothers are a little worried. Well, now that dad's dead, is Joseph going to treat us harshly? Is he going to punish us for all the mistreatment we did to him all those years ago? Uh, they're like, man, you know, maybe he was just being nice to us while dad was still alive, but it's going to get ugly now that dad's dead. So they come before Joseph one last time, and they say, Joseph, we're, we're going to make ourselves slaves to you. They bow down before him again, just like Joseph dreamed when he was a kid. They bow down before They're begging for forgiveness. Uh, and here's how Joseph responds. And this will be our, our main uh, text tonight that we'll wrap up with. Genesis chapter 50. Verse 19 and 21. Again, the brothers are begging for forgiveness. They don't see the picture that Joseph sees. Verse 19. But Joseph replied, Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Your translation might say, What you meant for evil, God meant for good. That's huge. Right? That's huge. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. So no, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. And so he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. And this is something huge. That verse 20 there, something huge for you to get into your spirit. Um, The enemy may have intended it for evil, right? They, whoever they are, family, co-workers, whoever, whoever in your life, uh, may have meant it for your harm, may have meant it for evil, but God's got a plan for your good. Do you believe that? Yeah. Do you believe that? Do you believe he's able to, to work out no matter how big the mess is? And again, I've known you guys for all, some of you guys, I've known the mess, right? I, I've seen God work in it, right? Um, and, and I know some of the testimonies in this room, but do you believe that it doesn't matter what they intended? They may have intended it to harm you, but God, do you believe, is going to use it for your good? God can make it work together for your good. For Joseph, man, it was to literally save his whole family, to save the whole kingdom, right? This terrible stuff he went through, there was a purpose in it. And it took faith to trust. Okay, God, I trust you've got a purpose in it. Um, Some of it you may not see in your own lifetime, right? You may not even see all the good stuff God's wanted to do, the ways he's wanted to use your struggle for his good and for his glory. But he wants us to have faith and trust that he is in control and he is going to make it work together for his good. Again, back to Romans 8, chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Um, this is the promise from the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Right? It doesn't mean that that difficult situation uh, and that tough thing you're going through uh, is God's will for your life and that maybe may not even be what God, God intended, but He is able to work through that thing for your good, right? Whatever mess you find yourself in, the tough situation you find yourself in, the heartache, the trouble you find yourself in, God is able to work through that for the good of those who love him, that are called according to his purpose. Biblical hope 
is the confidence that God is actually working for our good. He is writing another story than the one we see in our circumstances and what we see playing out on the news. Right? That, that's one story. God is writing another story behind the scenes. Biblical hope is trusting that. Okay, God, you're in control. I trust you're writing a different story. I trust that you're going to work this together for our good. Jesus never promised that following him would mean an absence of trouble. In fact, he said the opposite. Right? In John 16, he guarantees in this world, if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to be a follower of Christ in this world, you will have trouble. Right? You will have trouble. You will have hard days, disappointments, heartbreak, miserable situations, frustrations, pain. In this world, you will have trouble. But to take heart, because this isn't all there is, and that Jesus has overcome the world. Right? Even in our most miserable situations, those tough situations, man, hope in Christ means, okay, God, this isn't all there is. Right? This is a tough situation, but this is not the end of the story. Right? This is not the end of my story. God, you're, you're in control. You are sovereign, uh, which just means God is in control of everything. And God, you've got a plan, and you're going to work in this. And this is not the end of my story. Right? You, you've got somewhere you're taking me through this, and no matter what suffering I endure here on this earth, and compared to an eternity in his presence in heaven, this is going to be like a blip on the radar, right? Just like a little snap, and it's over a breath on a cold day, and then it's gone. That's our life, right? And, and so compared to an eternity of peace and joy in heaven, and the suffering that we endure now can't even compare. So God, help me to trust that you're in control, even in these tough situations, even when we're in our, man, sold into slavery, bottom of the pit, in the dungeon kind of moment. God, I trust that you're in control. We need to believe that God is sovereign, that He's in control. We need to believe that He is at work in our lives, even in the midst of the most difficult situations, to bring about our good, to bring about His glory, and to bless other people through you. Right? That tough thing you're going through, it may be to bless somebody else. It may be to be an encouragement to someone else, right? Uh, it, it's tough in the moment, but when you look back and realize how it blessed your family, blessed a friend, maybe saved someone's life, maybe you could be an encouragement to someone in the moment because you can empathize because you went through it too, and it saves their whole life. Like, and you look back and it's like, God, I, I wouldn't have chosen to go through that. I wouldn't want to go through it again, but I see how you used it to bless this other person. Right? Sometimes he wants to use it for his glory. Sometimes he wants to use it for his glory, that he's glorified by bringing you through that tough circumstance, that tough uh, situation. Right? Again, we, we, don't, we don't always know the purpose God has and the different things he lets into our life, but sometimes it's for his glory. There's a time Jesus uh, heals a man. And he gets questioned later, man, why, why, why was this man sick? Why is this man blind? Is it because his mom sinned, his dad sinned? Jesus said, no, that's not it at all. Right? He, he endured that so that when he's healed, God could be glorified. Right? And for some of you guys, you're in that tough situation so that when God brings you out of it, he can get the glory, and your family members can say, whoa, look what God did in their life. Right? Your friends can say, well, look what God did in her life. He gets the glory, and they can be drawn closer to him when you can point to Jesus. Say, hey, I want to give Jesus the glory. And let me tell you how God brought me through this situation. I would have made it without him. Right? I would have made it without the hope that I had in him. And God will use that to glorify himself. Joseph's story foreshadows the story of Jesus. There's a lot of foreshadowing here uh, in Joseph's life with Jesus, a lot of parallels uh, here with, G with, with Jesus. So Jesus, I mean, you guys remember uh, the, the Christmas story. Jesus also goes down to Egypt, right? When, when Herod um, makes an edict to kill all the babies in town, um, and Joseph and Mary take Jesus down to Egypt, just, just as Joseph 
they had to go down to Egypt, and the, the Israel, Jacob's family goes down to Egypt. Jesus also then goes down to Egypt. Jesus also endures some terrible things. Just as Joseph endured some terrible things to save his family, Jesus endured terrible suffering, and even the cross to save you, to save us, to make us his family and adopt us into the family of God as sons and daughters. What the enemy meant for evil in Jesus' life, right? The enemy said, I'm going to destroy the Son of God. I'm going to wreck his life. I'm going to have him killed. And we're done with Jesus. What they thought they meant for evil, God used for good to save me, to save you from our sins, to make us right with God, to give us a forever home in heaven with the Lord, right? What the enemy meant for evil, God worked for good. If you've never put your trust in Jesus and what he did to save you on the cross, Right, to have your sins forgiven, to be made right with God, to have uh, hope in God uh, that when this life is over, you get to spend eternity in heaven with Him. Uh, if you've never prayed to put your trust in Jesus, we're going to pray in a minute, and you can do that tonight. Say, uh, God, I want to put my trust in Jesus. I want to put my trust in what He and He did uh, to save me and make me right. God, I know I'm not where I need to be. I know I'm far from You, and I want to make that right tonight. We're going to have a chance to do that here in a second. Um, as Christmas is coming up, man, you're going to see a lot of reminders about the birth of Jesus as Christmas is coming up. And remember, Jesus did that for you, right? He stepped out of heaven, which was like, can't be more paradise, and stepped into the pain and suffering of being a human being, right? Was Jesus born in a fancy hospital? No. Was, did he live in a fancy palace? No. He, he lived a, just a regular, tough human life, man. Life, life, of, life of poverty, traveling, traveling preacher. Uh, uh, he was rejected and, and despised. And abused, and his friends deserted him, and he was arrested, falsely accused, beaten up some more, and, and publicly executed, even though he was innocent. Right? And Jesus endured all that for you, for your good. God worked through that for your good to save you uh, and make you right with God. And the good news of the gospel, of course, is that Jesus didn't stay dead. Three days later, God raised him from the dead, proving he was who he says he was. He was the Son of God, and when we trust in him, we can be made right with God forever. So what does this mean for us? We'll wrap up here. What does this mean for us? Three big things. Say, if God is in control. If God is in control. control, Three big things. If God is in control, then you don't have to be. That's the first one. If God is in control, you don't have to be in control. Some of us, when life feels out of control, we start to get controlling or manipulative. We're like, man, i got to manipulate the situation because no one's looking out for me. So like, if I don't manipulate things or manipulate the people around me, uh, you know, things are going to go bad for me. And, and so we kind of, the worst parts of ourselves come out and become a little manipulative. No, no, God's in control. You don't have to be manipulative. He already promised he's making everything work together for your good. Just chill. Enjoy that, right? Uh, just be faithful to him. You don't have to, if God's in control, you don't have to be in control. And you don't have to manipulate situations for your good. Because he already promised he's already doing it. He's already working behind the scenes to make it all work for your good. So you don't have to do that. So if God's in control, we don't have to be. Second, if God's in control, we don't have to worry. I know so many of us are eaten up by anxiety and worry and just, man, Matt, I don't know what's going to happen. Or, Matt, I don't know how we're going to get through this. God doesn't want that for you. He's a good father who loves you. And the same as I don't want my own kids to be eaten up with anxiety and worry. And it breaks my heart when I know that they're worried or anxious about something. And God has that same heart for you. He doesn't want you to be worried about your life. You know, Jesus said in, in, in Matthew 6, 
right? Not to worry about your life, not to worry about these things. God already knows that you need him. He's going to make sure that you have everything that you need. He's a good dad. He knows how to take care of you. And so if God really is in control, we really believe that, we don't have to worry. We can trust God. You're going to work this situation out. I don't see how you're going to do it, but I trust you're going to do it. And it doesn't help one ounce to worry anyway. Jesus said, don't worry. It doesn't help anything anyway. He wants better for you than that. He wants you to experience his peace and his rest and not having to worry about it. So if God's in control, we don't have to be. If God's in control, we don't have to worry. And finally, if God's in control, we have a hope for the future. We have a hope for the future. Some of you guys, when you think about the future, that's kind of scary. Man, I don't know how this is going to work out. Uh, man, I don't even know how I'm going to get, uh, get, get through college. I don't even know, you know if there's going to be a job for me. I hear, hear the job market's kind of whack. I don't know. If, if, am I going to be able to man, I see my parents struggling? Am I going to just struggle too? Is just all of life suffering and struggle? Uh, and, and is there any kind of, I mean, is there going to be a woman that's going to want to marry me and have a family with me? Is there ever going to be a Mr. Right? Uh, and we worry about all kinds of stuff. We don't have hope for the future. But if God's in control of your life, you can have hope for the future. Because he promised he's going to make it all work together for your good, right? So, so you can have a hope that, okay, God, I believe you've got a future for me. I believe you've got a future for me. When the nation of Israel uh, goes into captivity in Babylon, again, because of their own rebellion, because of their own sin, um, and they're, they're in captivity in Babylon for 70 years, uh, God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah, and he, and he gives them hope. He gives them hope. Some of you guys, maybe in church, you guys already memorized this Bible verse when you were little, Jeremiah 29, 11. Anyone know this one? What's it say? I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to... Yeah, plans to bless you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. This is what he encourages them with when they're in the middle of their captivity in Babylon. They're in the middle of their toughest situation in life. So, no, I've got a plan for your life. Right? And God's got a plan for your life, too. When you're in the thick of it, man, just encourage yourself with that. Okay, I can have hope for the future because God's in control. He's got a plan. He's not got me just out here withering on the vine with no, man, I don't know what I'm going to do with Matt. Like, he, he, he kind of made some wrong turns. He kind of made that. He's just kind of on his own. No, God's got a plan for your life. And even with the wrong turns, he's got a way to make it work out and work out for your good. For your good. For the good of the people around you and for his glory. Amen? Yeah. Do we believe that? Yeah. God wants to encourage us with that. Jack, would you mind to come and play? As we respond to that in prayer, God is in control of every single situation you face and even the most difficult of circumstances. Man, he can make work for your good, for his glory, and to bless others. Amen. I want us to, to take some moments and respond to that in prayer because it's one thing to just say that, but then when you're in the thick of that tough moment, when you're in the thick of that tough situation, that financial stress, that tough family situation, that tough relationship, friend situation, when you're looking at your report cards that's going to come out right after the semester and you're like, man, these grades, when you're in the middle of it, it's tough. Say, God, I need you to increase my faith. God, I need you to help me to believe that you're in control and that you're at work in these situations. Help me to make those faith statements that Joseph made that, God, you're in control. This is all part of God's plan and he's going to make it work out. So I want us to be able to respond in prayer and say, man, I'm in the middle of a pretty rough situation. And I need God's help. And I need God to increase my faith that he's in control and going to see me through it. And we're going to respond in prayer to that. Some of you guys, like I said, maybe have never put your trust in Jesus. Uh, or maybe it's been a long time and you know you're far from God. You want to get right with God tonight. We'll be able to respond in prayer that way as well. Uh, saying, God, I just want to come back. I want to put my life in your hands. The good God who's in control instead of just wilding and doing things my own way. God, I want to trust you. Uh, and some of you guys are going to come back to God tonight. Some of you guys going home for Christmas is kind of kind of scary because going back to some tough home situations, 
that maybe staying on campus would be a little bit nicer. Uh, and just going back to those situations you just need and the comfort of God. You just, you just want to be prayed for uh, that God would encourage you and see you through me in the six, seven weeks that you're going to be home. Uh, we can pray for that as well. Staff, mind joining me down here? I'm sorry I didn't warn you guys about that. Uh, and uh, we, we would love to pray. <clears throat> just going to take a few minutes here while, while Jackie's playing quietly. You guys can just bow your heads, pray in your seats there. Father God, we love you. We trust you. You are a good father who knows how to take good care of his children. We do trust that you are sovereign. You are in control of every detail of our lives, God. That even the tough stuff that we go through didn't catch you by surprise. And you're even at work behind the scenes to work it out for our good. And it's one thing to say it. Help us to believe. God, would you increase our faith? Would you increase our ability to trust you, to believe you for that, God? like special prayer for any of those things that, that, that I listed. Uh, if you feel like you can come down here, we would love to pray with you. Uh, we'd love to pray with you. If you're in the middle of a really tough situation, say, man, I appreciate special prayer. Uh, you can go ahead and come down now. Uh, go ahead and come down now. We'd love to pray, man, if you're, uh, and, and finals are coming up, and you're like, man, I'm not prepared for that. I need God's help with that. If there's finances, situations, really need God's help in. Uh, and it's just, man, just trusting God and let Him build your faith in the midst of all that. If you're in a situation saying, Matt, right now I'm, I'm far from God. I'm not, I know I'm not where I need to be. I just want to pray with someone to man, put my trust in Jesus and get right with God again. I would love to pray with you there as well. But for anything, anything that may be weighing on your heart, this is the time we just want to, we want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. We want to hear from you. Uh, so let's take some time and seek the Lord together.